Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive of rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a bedtime story. Before we begin, just a reminder that yesterday, I released a new guided nightmare, Sea Cave. You find a cave, and some treasure, and even meet a mermaid. And I'm sure everything goes just fine, so check that out. It's available now, right before this episode. This week I have for you such a treat, a delightful Halloween tale by Clark Roberts. I think it will scratch every itch you have for a good Halloween story. This is Traditions Lost. Do you believe the story? Jim doesn't immediately answer. He frowns before glancing down at the girl, stepping stride for stride with him. They should be back at the house and closing out the night, he inspecting candy wrappers for unexplained tears while the girl waits for her bounty. That tradition is going to be gone someday, he reminds himself. Instead of pillaging the homes of their neighborhood, Today's kids are being indoctrined into church-put-on trunk-or-treats and a sort of group celebration at the town's main park. It pains him to admit that such a nostalgic memory as trick-or-treating from his childhood is disappearing as easily as covering a marred wall with a paint stroke. Undeniably, though, it's happening. And rightfully so considering what had come to pass ten years prior this night. Instead of answering her question, Jim suggests, Maybe you'd rather go to Center Park. We still have time, 
sure sounds like fun. Even at this late hour, the chilled dusk air carries the sharp and festive noises of ominous organ chords and children's squeals from the distance. It sounds every bit the celebration it should be for little demons and witches and cartoon characters taking place in the center of town. It saddens him that it can't be that way for the girl beside him. No, I want to continue to West Park, the girl answers, her nonchalant tone indicating that particular notion has never been a slip in her mind. Jim recalls his own annual childhood Halloween jaunts. Costumed like a pirate or a ghoul, he'd paraded up and down neighborhood blocks, his mildly entertained parents in tow. On those nights, he'd greedily cashed in on whatever delicious treats each house had dished out, and for the following week or two, had gorged like a child's version of a king. You didn't answer my question, the girl states. Do you think the story is true? Yes, Jim nods. There is no point in trying to spin the conversation to another topic. It's the same ritual each Halloween. Has been now for the last ten years. The girl plays the wide-eyed naivety card, and he assumes the role of a knowing adult. Year after year, she has tormented him with this game, and he plays along with the enthusiasm of a father, exhausted from being tugged to a playset tea party one too many times. But I'm not her father. Yet, to refuse to play would be harsh. And more than that, he knows how persistent the girl will be about West Park if he tries to put his foot down. Is it true their faces were sliced away? The girl asks. <sighs> That's what it said on the news. Jim sighs a breath of disconcertment. He can't help but ponder how wrong this all is. This girl, bobbing ponytail and innocent-mannered, should not be so fascinated with such a gruesome ghost story at her age, especially one so violent. Is it true they haunt West Park on Hallow's Eve? That's the legend. Is it true the bad man scooped out their eyeballs? Jim seals his lips. It's too gruesome for him to focus on. So he turns and looks at the houses they will walk past. It's okay, Mr. Jim, the girl says. I haven't really forgotten. I just like to make sure you haven't forgotten. Jim remains quiet, continues to study the neighborhood's homes. The porch lights of the houses they pass by are now all dark. Whatever few people are left that still cling to the old autumn tradition of door-to-door trick-or-treating have given up the ghost at this point. Jim wonders if the occupants behind these closed doors think their efforts have been worthwhile. Are they so disheartened by the lack of knocks on their door that they'll shut it down for good when it comes to Halloween? 
The man and girl pass beneath the cone of light at the last street crossing of the town. The fluorescent pink of the girl's costume absorbs the light, and when they are once again swallowed by the darkness, the outlined bones of her costume momentarily glow. One block up the road curves, and there will be West Park, a drab effort at best from the city planners. It has always been nothing more than a stretch of grass with a corkscrew slide, one set of squealing swings, and planted tractor tires the poor kids crawled over or into to hide. It's as if the original municipal planners had set it down simply to give the wrong side of the tracks another thing to complain about, and then they'd wipe their hands of it. Off to the right, a dog barks viciously. Lost in his thoughts, the sudden and violent outburst startles Jim. The large dog leaps to a two-footed stand, and its front paws rattle the chain-link wall of its pen. Then, the girl asks Jim the question he never wants to hear. Do you think the brother and sister will ever get to move on to wherever it is the dead are supposed to go? I hope so, he says, but his voice is hardly a whisper. The beast of a dog is barking even more ferociously at them and Jim can't help but wonder what would happen if he wasn't caged, how persistent the animal would be in its bloodlust. Would it chase after them, rip them down like prey? It's an animal, and isn't capable of reasoning out the futility of that type of violence. Why is it the same for some humans? I hope so too, the girl agrees. Before Jim is even aware of what is about to pass over his lips, he suddenly asks, Why me? He's never voiced this question aloud, although many nights he sought answers in his own head while staring up at his bedroom ceiling. It feels a cruel question to ask the girl, but once it's out, he can't stop. He kneels to her level, feeling the sting of tears brimming. Why was I chosen to be your guardian? Did you choose me? Was I handpicked by God? Why am I the one you haunt? Is that all I am to you? A haunting? The girl frowns and her eyes turn to the ground. I didn't mean it like that. Jim lifts her chin. I just... I can't, for the life of me, see the thread. I'm not your parent, so I can't come to terms with why it's me you spend time with. But the rules won't allow you to visit your parents. Why don't counting numbers never end? The girl shrugs as if returning with this double negative question is actually a proper answer. And maybe it is. Is it the same for your brother? Does he have a guardian like me that he stays with the entire year? No. The girl straightly states, 
has nobody. So, where does he go after each Halloween? He just stops. What does that even mean? Just that he stops being here. She glances over the ground, turns her gaze heavenward, and scans the starry night sky. Jim closes his eyes, shivers. Does she not understand the word exist? Is that her truer meaning? That her brother becomes a void? A nothing? I'm 17 now, the girl says with mercurial nature. Jim can't help but feel she has intentionally changed the subject to protect his sanity. But it isn't really helpful. Because, yes, he certainly does know the girl's age, as he's the one that brings a cake home to her each year. Ten years since she has entered his life, and not a single one of those days reflects on her face or ghostly body. Like you said, though, I'm not your child, so I can't stay with you forever. The girl does an about-face and skips ahead and her ponytail bounces. When West Park is in sight, she turns and yells, Come on! Let's race! Before he can answer, she shows the soles of her bare feet in an urgent sprint. Wait! Jim yells. It might not be safe but she is already lost to the dark, and he has no choice but to chase her. When Jim reaches the park, there is a second child waiting with the girl. This one is also dressed as a skeleton, but with bleach-white bones rather than pink. Unlike the girl, the boy wears a plastic skull mask, completing the costume. You remember my twin brother? The girl states. <sighs> Hello again. Jim pants. He doubles over in an effort to catch his breath. The boy kindly waves at Jim. My brother and me are going to play now, Mr. Jim. The girl says. Have your fun. Jim straightens, points off to the side and continues. I'll be over there. For some time... The twins scamper about like reunited puppies. They run and chase one another in circles. They pump their legs to see who can fly the highest on the swings. They climb the rusty metal steps of the twisty slide and twirl downward. They start up their game of tag a second time and tumble into one another's arms and fall to the ground. They laugh and it's music to Jim's soul. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
with Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And then, the boy magically produces a second skeleton mask and offers it to his sister. The boy's voice drops low and far too serious for a seven-year-old. Behind his own glowing mask, he says, It's almost hide-and-seek time. This time on this night, unlike the previous years, on this 10th anniversary, the girl accepts the mask. She stretches the thin elastic cord over the back of her head and lets the mask snap gently into place. She momentarily plays with it as if to set it comfortably on her face. She scampers over to the side where Jim has stood and watched the siblings frolic, like siblings should. I'm leaving you this time, the girl says. She tilts her head up so Jim is now face to face with a dollar store skeleton. The immediateness and bluntness of her announcement is a blow that wins him and his shoulders sag. He has always held on to hope that the girl might be more mature if this moment ever rolled into his life, that her voice would be weighted with sympathy, or that her words might have been more tactfully chosen in her farewell. It's an unfair expectation because 17 years from her date of birth or not, the girl is still a child, hardly a fall or two past a toddler. But she isn't his child. He's often thought of reaching out to the parents. He hadn't known them when the worst kind of parental tragedy touched down on their lives like a tornado destroying a trailer park. He'd only ever seen them on television way back when, answering questions so openly that their innocence was obvious. Neglectful? Without a doubt but guilty, certainly not. In those one or two local news interviews, a self-imposed imprisonment as vastly far-reaching as outer space had been apparent behind their vacant eyes of misery. The parents had since moved out of state, probably an effort to escape the haunting past, but in an age of technology, tracking them down wouldn't be difficult. It was the unknowing that prevented Jim from doing so. And, quite honestly, it would seem like the cruelest of all jokes. What can he say? Your dead daughter sought me out and lives with me? I can't answer why I have the ability to see and hear her, but you don't? What comfort could he provide them? Explaining their daughter seems destined to childhood purgatory here on Earth feels more like a punishment than anything else. 
Would they even believe him if he did reach out? Or might they angrily cast accusations of Jim being a cruel attention whore? The truth is, Jim has been singled out for reasons unknown to even him, like Job in the Bible. And sometimes, like Job, he feels like there's something about him God just doesn't like. If questioned by anyone on the issue, Jim would only be able to turn his hands in complete bafflement. So no, she isn't his child. Still, he's grown to love the girl and yearns to know that emotion is in some way reciprocated. I thought you might leave me tonight, Jim says solemnly. He crouches. The holes in her mask are now nothing but dark caverns with seeping blood. It's pure dread to look into those holes. But he is the adult here, and she is a child. Forever a child. He places his hands on her shoulders and feels they are chillier than the night air. Yet her skin bears no goosebumps, and this revelation is enough to shudder a chill up his back. What's wrong? The girl asks. Nothing, I just... Should I take the mask off for our goodbye? No. He hurries the reply, and it escapes in a rush, his voice as nervous as the murmurs of dead leaves. He knows it's rude, possibly even harsh, but he believes whatever spell has kept the darling girl with him all these years is already traveling elsewhere. He fears that if she removes the mask, she will now be revealed to him in the true and everlasting state as her twin brother, a child with the face detached and the eyes scooped out into pits. He doesn't want to see that horror, doesn't want to be forced to accept that, because the weight of that burden might be too much for what languishing sanity he has left when he arrives to home and tosses in his bed he will struggle to hold on to the image of the girl's curly blonde locks her sweet and innocent cheeks that plump when she smiles you've done nothing wrong mr jim the girl consoles it isn't your fault it's just Time for me to move on. Jim nods, and in a way, he's happy. And in another, he still doesn't like it. After ten years, he is tied to the girl with deep affection. He asks, Why tonight do you leave for good? Because he's coming back tonight. The girl whispers. The hairs on the back of Jim's neck raise. The bad man! The brother shouts, while leaning over the side guards atop the slide. Jim looks up at the boy. For the past ten Halloweens, Jim has walked the girl down to this park so she can play with her brother. Yet this year, is the first the boy has ever acknowledged Jim's existence. There are so many questions about the boy. 
Why is he here only on Halloween night? Why each year does he stubbornly refuse the offer to come stay at Jim's house? Does the boy simply vanish at night? It's all so absurd it hurts Jim's mind to dwell on these things. The bad man comes tonight. The boy repeats, and then continues, with the resolve of a natural leader. And this time, my sister and me will be ready for him. Something frigid touches Jim's hand, and he shivers. He looks down and instantly laments the momentary lack of self-control, for it's the girl who has reached out and gently touched him. It's okay, she says. I know I'm cold. My brother is right, though. You need to go. It's only supposed to be me and my brother when he gets here. The bad man really is coming back tonight. The bad man. As if on cue, distantly Jim can make out a low drone in the night. Jim knows the lay of the town, and once the drone morphs into a growl, it's obvious the sound is fast approaching from the only road into town from the west. Leave or hide, the girl urges. She is shaking his hand with a tight grasp. Thank you for everything. And, and, I love you, but this is about the bad man, my brother, and me, not you. Hide, the boy commands. He points to one of the big tractor tires that are a quarter buried into the ground. He turns to the noise of the fast approaching motorcycle. The boy speaks one last word. Revenge. The girl turns and quickly climbs the slide stairs to join her brother. Jim has no other clue of what to do next, so he simply obeys the boy's order. He scampers to the large tractor tire. He tucks himself in tight, like he's a player in a hide-and-seek game of life or death. The volume of the motorcycle engine increases tenfold, like thunderclouds that have skated overhead. And Jim knows it has curved onto West Park's street. Then, its intensity winds down until it shuts off completely. The night is suddenly filled with silence, and it's the loudest silence into which Jim has ever been attuned. He waits feels a cold sweat break on the back of his neck. Of utter instinct, a prayer passes over his lips, but he wouldn't be able to explain if it's for him or the ghost children. Footsteps approach, the sound of a heavy-set man falling to his ass. Ten years I've lived with this, the bad man says in a growl as deep as the night is dark. Jim hears the bad man swig from a bottle. There is a pause, and then another, longer swig. You shouldn't have been here that night. The bad man's voice cracks, like something long dwelled in his belly is crawling up and free. 
I couldn't control what happened. The drugs in my system that night. They had me by the balls. Jim affords himself a peek. The bad man is a complete replica of what the mind draws when thinking of a hardened biker. He is seated with arms wrapped around his pulled up legs. He is decked out in leather, black boots, black jeans and chaps, black vest, black everything. He is bald on top, but a genuine biker beard, ghostly gray, and ending in tied forks hangs from his face. It's your parents' fault, the bad man sobbed. Fuck them for letting you play out here alone so late on Halloween. No. A second and much younger voice returns. Fuck you. Jim's eyes flick to the slide's top. Two shadows rise up like cobras. In Jim's glance, he sees the girl latch onto the top bar and swing her body down the slide. She raises her hands high, like a teenager on a roller coaster. At the bottom, she lands to the ground, firmly on her feet. The brother climbs over the side, scaling down the outside panels like a gorilla. The bad man launches the liquor bottle at the shadow crawling down the slide, but it misses and clangs away to no effect. The boy finishes his descent, and together, brother and sister, face the bad man. I'm sorry, the bad man says, a blubbery confessional. Tears fall in wide tracks down his cheeks. I can't explain why or what took over me that night or how I'd suppressed the urge to kill until then. Skeleton masks stare forward, one a luminescent white and the other a glowing pink, both expressions of indifference. The skeletons step forward in unison. That was the only time, the bad man cries, his voice rising octaves in pitch. He turns his palms at the children and shakes them as if to say, let's talk this out. His eyes grow as wide as white saucers as the immediacy of the moment cuts off his sobbing. The only time, I swear, I haven't heard a fly since. It has to count for something. Another step, and the brother and sister reach to push their masks up and off to expose the fate to which the bad man has forever sentenced them. Jim can't stand it to look. He shuts his eyes fiercely, squeezing out his own tears, cowering like a child. Jim listens to the rest of the encounter. There's a low and hungry growl, yet distinctly childlike. It's joined by a second, and then the bad man's screams fill the air. The struggle lasts only minutes. But to Jim, it might as well be the length of a decade. Despite knowing they've been earned, the pain-filled yowls and grunts emitted from the bad man 
will haunt Jim's nightmares for the next ten years to come. Finally, complete silence. Two words from the girl. It's over. Jim opens his eyes. Brother and sister stand side by side, holding hands like teammates. They've discarded the masks. The flesh of their faces is back properly in place, but their lips are smeared in blood. The boy's mouth slowly moves up, down, and side to side, like a bovine chewing cud. They turn, and still holding hands, skip away like only children can. Jim crawls from his hiding spot. The bad man is supine and unmoving on the ground. His face is hamburger. His eyes stare up. White stones in a mush of flesh and blood. Halloween is over. There's already a considerable distance between Jim and the children. Jim watches as they skip out of town and off into the night. Off to whatever is next for them. A Halloween tradition is forever lost. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to my author this week, Clark Roberts, for such an incredibly gruesome and heart-tugging tale. I love this one so much. Thank you, Clark, for sending it in, and I'm sure the rest of you enjoyed it as well, as much as I did, which was a lot. <laughs> if you like the show, you can follow me on social media. You can go to at scare you to sleep on Instagram, Twitter, or X. <laughs> And I, oh, you know what? I have not started started a Blue Sky account yet for the show, but I'm on Blue Sky, Shelby B. Scott. Uh, you can find me also on Twitter and Instagram. And on Facebook, there's a, Facebook, a very, very active Facebook group. And just look for Scary to Sleep. Answer the questions. Feel free to just put in podcast, podcast, just so we know you're not a bot or a scammer or something of the sort. <laughs> Feel free to check those out. And... I wanted to announce that my new show, Skin Crawl, is out now. It's a show that I have been hinting at for a long time now. I was the showrunner and director, and I wrote three of the episodes, one of which will be coming out Halloween Day. So check out that. It's Skin Crawl. It's, with, it's based on the comics by the artist Skinner. Skinner is the most incredible horror fantasy artist. If you haven't checked out his work please do uh he goes by the art of skinner on instagram and twitter and just look him just google him he has a whole website and he does incredible stuff and i am so honored to have gotten to turn his comics into a podcast it's been such a cool journey we got a lot of celebrity guests like tim heidecker blake anderson peaches christ and again dream come true getting to direct tim heidecker <laughs> over zoom reading words that i wrote it was oh my god i can't even begin to tell you how incredible that felt and that was way back in like january too i've been having to hold on to this 
for almost a year, so I'm so happy to be able to finally tell you so that skin crawl. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's like gets, it has real like tales from the crypt vibes. We even have a little mascot called Raleigh the Rotten. He's an amputated sentient hand. <laughs> it's great. I got to write an article for the Bloody Disgusting website too, which is another thing that's just so cool. So check out the website uh, and you can find an article about it there. Skinner put together his own little real commercial for his YouTube channel and it's so cute. He has little Raleigh hand that intros the show. It's so much fun. Yeah, check it out everywhere. It's slimy. It's fantastical. It's got so much. It's got fairies and tentacled monsters and uh, brain operations. <laughs> Just so many different things. There's a there's a whole episode about, like, there's a war episode about this dystopian war. It's just got a little bit of everything for everyone. Right now, the first episode is out, and it's a Halloween-themed episode, and it's so fantastic. It's, it's, it's amazing. I just, I loved it so much. In fact, I was given the opportunity to put one of the stories that I wrote first up, and I was like, no, we have to do this one. I loved it so much, and it's Halloween. It's great. It's about an old hag. Blake Anderson from Workaholics plays the old hag, and please go check it out. I'm very proud of it. I've put a lot of work into it, and I just it's it's just a dream come true. So go check that out. Um, not much to ramble about this week. Uh, if you heard on, I, I released an episode last week that was actually an episode of Nightlight, and I did a little intro. Life is a little crazy right now. I uh, I know usually I'm a lot more transparent with all of you, but I, this is something very personal that I'm going through, and I've had to do a lot of um, reworking. In fact, if the sound for this intro and outro is a little wonky this week, uh, I probably shouldn't have said anything because you might not notice, but it's because I am having to set up in a new office, a new temporary office, and things are a little in my life are just a little bit, um, <laughs> a little bit a lot bonkers. But again, I know I'm usually very open with all of you and we've gotten that relationship. But unfortunately, right now I need to, I, I just like some privacy just for right now. And I promise we'll, we'll be back on track soon. I'm going to, I'm thinking about baking some bread this weekend. So I'll have something to talk about baking next week and it'll feel, it'll feel more normal for you. And if it feels more normal for you, it'll maybe feel a little more normal for me and we can all just, you know, all we can do is look forward to the future and I'm very optimistic about my future. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to go and I hope you are having an, a fantastic Halloween season. I hope you're baking pumpkin bread and making all the Halloween crafts and I hope you've compiled your candy and all that all that stuff. You know, my friend Rosemary actually had a great idea. If you don't want to give out candy or maybe, you know, you haven't gotten your candy yet. Uh, she went on, I think Amazon and ordered a bunch of little mini, like one ounce Play-Doh containers. And they're on, I think they're on sale right now. And I thought that was the coolest idea to do little Play-Dohs instead of can kids get plenty of candy and Play-Doh is something they can keep playing with. And I just thought that was such a neat idea. I, rem I think if I was a kid, we you'd want to like trade colors and all kinds of stuff. So there's a little idea from my friend Rosemary for you. And all right, I'm going to go. I love you all. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>